I've been praying, God, we need more. I love the teaching. I'm a teacher. Uh, the, the, the worship's great. But what's so desperately needed in this hour in the church before it gets into the world is the presence of God, the tangible presence of God. And all I kept sensing in my spirit as we were worshiping God, and especially as we got to that last song, is God wanted to meet, meet with His people tonight. And He wanted to have contact with His people tonight. He just didn't know it was physical. He wanted to have contact with His people because when we have contact with the living God, He is so awesome, you will never leave here the same. He can drive out habits. He can change your life. He can turn your life right side up in a moment. And Paul said these words that have been ringing in me for several years now, I did not come to you with enticing words of man's wisdom. 2 Corinthians 2.1, I could have, but I came to you in the demonstration and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what I've been praying for. And I believe this was God just testing me. Am I, are you willing to set things aside and step out? Because it's not like I heard a booming voice. It's not like I've... It was just this little sense I had. But I've walked in that before. The church that I had years ago, we had things like this happen all the time. And I keep saying, God, why is it not happening here? And I began to realize I can be the one that holds it back because I like to do things a certain... I can't wait to teach. But I want what the Holy Spirit wants more than anything. So praise God. So I believe this is the beginning of some things. Praise the Lord. And you can tell those on Sunday that weren't here on Wednesday what happens on Wednesday night. (laughs) Praise God. Thank you, Father. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for what what you've done tonight. And we just trust and believe, Lord, in the things that were done by the Spirit of God tonight, that they were the beginning of things. There are people, Lord, that received healing. Some may have received them right now. Some will receive them as they go. Some may wake up tomorrow. But we believe that everyone that came desiring healing, Father, we know you came to do what you can do and what only you can do. So we thank you that. Father, for the people that the Spirit ministered to by words, Lord, we ask you help them help them to receive those words and to walk in them. Words of encouragement, maybe direction. Words of freedom and healing, Lord. And I just th- we thank you for it, Father. And now we turn to your written word and the trust, trusting you in the Holy Spirit tonight to help us to see what it is we, you want us to see. We sang about that tonight, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our heart. And so we pray tonight now, Father, as we open this word, that you would open the eyes of our heart, of our inner eyes, that we would be able to see what you want to show us tonight and hear what you want us to hear tonight. And for that, we thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Open your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. This has been our key verse in this series we're in, and we'll just, but I just felt like we ought to go read it tonight. 2 Corinthians 5, they're going to put it up there, verse 7. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And walk doesn't refer to how you got in the door. It refers to how we conduct our lives. So we conduct our lives by faith and not by sight. It's, the Bible says in three, at least three places, maybe four, I can't remember exactly, that the just shall live by faith. Not just get saved by faith, but shall live by faith. We shall walk by faith and not 
by sight. So we've been talking for the last few weeks in this series, Walk by by Faith and Not by Sight. And we've done a number of different things. We've talked about what faith is. We've talked about what faith isn't. We've talked about about being fully persuaded. Uh, We've talked about the balance of faith and grace. Grace is God's side. You can't do what only God can do, and God can't do what only you can do, which is to believe the grace, the free gift that God's given to us. And then uh, last week we began to look at some examples in the Bible. I'm calling these heroes of faith. And tonight we're going to look at another one. But before we did that, I want to go back and know, I want to make clear to you why, what we're looking for in this story that we're going to go through. So we're going to go back now to chapter 4 because it sets up this verse. Chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart. So this is how to not get discouraged. Even though our outward man is perishing, our inward man is being renewed day by day. So Paul is drawing a distinction between our outer man and our inner man. The outward man is your body, it's your flesh. And the inward man is your spirit man, who you are. And last week, I think it was, I brought three people up here, and one of them represented your inner man, the other represented your outer man, and the one in the middle represented your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. So every time you're going through anything, you can choose whether you're going to govern what you're doing and what you believe by what your outer man's telling you, and that's anything that your senses talk about. So if you're, if you're dealing with pain, then your, body, your pain is giving you a message. It's telling you you're not healed. It's telling you you're, you're sick. And your body's designed to give you warning. Something's wrong because i got a pain over here. That's a sign something may be wrong. But when it comes to what God says about it, we're not to walk by those things. We're to walk by faith. Now, faith doesn't deny that the pain's there. Faith believes what God says about it over against what your body's telling you or even maybe the doctor's telling you. And the doctors do their very best. Most doctors believe in healing more than most Christians do. And doctors want you well. I met today with my doctor that's overseeing this process of mine. Wonderful man. He just wants me well. And I got good news today. They're shortening everything down. I don't want to get into that. But, but it, things are going very well. But, but, but I, I, while I'm going through this, I'm learning to walk in this situation, not just by what they say, but what God says. But, it, but it, it's a matter of disciplining because we're used to listening to our flesh. We're, our outer man has a strong voice. Maybe it's not paying your body. Maybe it's, I want that extra piece of apple pie. Uh, if, you know, your body talks to you. If you don't believe your body talks to you, tell it you're going to get up at 5 tomorrow and pray in the Spirit for an hour. You'll find out at 5 o'clock your body talks to you. It'll tell you you're dying if you get up. You won't have enough sleep. And then you, if you get up, you'll be so wide awake, you'll be thinking of everything else but God. So it's, your, body, your body lies to you. So... so Paul is saying here there's a difference between our outer man and our inner man. The outer man, as we've learned before, the outer man is the, is the part of you that comes from this natural realm. That's why the Bible says from your, your, your body came from dust and it will return to dust when you're done with it and before it's raised from the dead. So, but, but the inward man's being renewed day by day. That's your spirit man on the inside. And so we don't, we don't use, lose heart because of where we look. So let's go to the next verse, verse 17. For this outward, our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I'm not going to take the time to go into that tonight. Here's what I wanted to get to, verse 8. 
This is how he's not losing heart. This is how he's not discouraged. This is the key to victory in your life. While we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. Now, we talked about this before. So the first thing is telling us two things to do. One thing to not do and one thing to do. While we look not at the things that are seen. That refers to this natural realm out there. And that's very easy to do. I'm not looking is what can be seen. Just close your eyes. What he's mean there is don't pay attention to it. Don't be moved by it. So you're going through a challenge, a physical challenge, and your body got pain in it or it's got some other symptom in it. It's speaking to you. It's telling you you're not going to make it. It's telling you you're sick. It's telling you your faith isn't working. It's telling the Bible doesn't work. It's telling you it's talking to you. And we've talked about this before. You cannot let your body talk to you without answering it. You've got to answer what your body... You've got to talk to the mountain. Don't let the mountain talk to you. And what, so what he's saying is don't, be, don't pay attention to the physical, natural evidence that's telling you whatever it wants to tell you. If it's sickness and disease, it's your body that's telling you you're sick. Maybe you've got a lump or a tumor, and every time you get up in the morning, there it is, staring you in the face. It's talking to you, telling you, I'm still sick, I'm still there. We don't deny that it's there, but I'd speak to it and say, but you don't have a right to be in my body, because God's Word said, Jesus bore my sicknesses and carried my diseases, and by His stripes I have been healed. God's Word says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all all His benefits, who forgives all my iniquities, who heals all my diseases. That's what God said about it, and many more. So I believe what God says, not what I see. We're going to look at an example of that today and how it works. So we look not at the things that are seen, but now He tells us to look at things that are not seen. How do you do that? Because you've got another set of eyes. We sang tonight, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Not these two balls in the front of your head on the either side of your nose, but you have inner eyes that see with your heart, that see and sense things with your heart. Most Christians don't spend any time looking with these eyes. They spend all their time imagining things and understanding things with these eyes, and the Bible has a word for that. It's carnal. Carnal doesn't mean sinful. It means dominated by your flesh and what your flesh is telling you. But you have a, the you have the kingdom of God. If you're a Christian, the kingdom of God is within you. The Spirit of God is within you to lead you and guide you into all truth. And so we have to learn to look at things from the inside. I've talked to you before when we went back, we're going through the election. And I'm saying, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. What I'm telling you, and it's not just true of political issues. It's not just true of anything. You, we've got to learn to look at whatever's going on in our, in our world or the world around us not just through these eyes, but through the spirit eyes. What does God say about this? What's spiritually going on here? So why Paul says in Ephesians 6, he says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That person that's so mad at you, causing you so much trouble, we need to mature and learn to step back and look, look at that situation through the spiritual eyes, through what God's Word says about it. And so, and that's something you learn. It's not something you master in a week. It's a process, but you, you won't learn unless you start. And you'll get discouraged, you'll make mistakes, you'll fail, you'll fall down, get back up again. A child learning to walk, when they fall down, they don't quit. 
And the same token, parents, when your child starting to walk and falls down, you say, well, you'll never make it. Forget you. What a weak thing you are. No, they, 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 oh, that's okay. And you kind of brush them off. You can do, well, that's what God does with us when we're, when we're learning to walk by faith. It pleases Him when you're learning to walk by faith. Even if you stumble and fall all over the place, you're trying to walk by faith and not by what you see. That pleases God. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. The things that are not seen are eternal. So what we're going to do is, is we're, we, last week we looked at the example of a man, Abraham, and we looked at his journey from when God first spoke to him to when he passed the ultimate test on Genesis 22 and Mount Moriah, when he was willing to offer up his only begotten son, believing that if necessary, God would raise him up from the dead. And so we looked at this man grow in faith. We saw that in Romans 4, God's testimony of him is he never wavered in unbelief. And we saw him waver all over the place. But by the time he got there, he didn't waver. He, was, he grew strong in faith. Well, we're going to look at another person today. This is a young man. And we, are, we can only see a little bit of how he got there. But this is one of the clearest examples of this verse, walking by faith and not by sight. So I'm going to ask you to go over to 1 Samuel Chapter 17, and this is a story that if you were raised in church, you heard in Sunday school, it's David and Goliath, but we're going to look at it through this prism, through the scripture of we walk by faith and not by sight. We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are not seen. First Samuel chapter 17. Here, the background here, if you don't aware, familiar with it, is that the Israelite army is in the, in the Philistines which were their enemies, are lined up what's called battle array. They're lined up ready to go at each other on either side of a valley. And in this situation, what happens, and we'll see it as we get into this, the, uh, the Philistines have a, a, a man who's, a, who's an experienced warrior named Goliath who's about 10 feet tall. Some versions say 12 feet tall. About 10 feet tall. And he is an experienced soldier and he comes out to taunt the army of Israel, and to challenge them to send out somebody to fight against him. And he said, if, 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 you, if you win, then our army's going to surrender to you, and if I win, your army's going to surrender to me. Well, obviously, Goliath was pretty self-confident. He wouldn't do that if he thought there was any chance he was going to lose. So we're gonna, with that little background, we're going to just kind of go through this story, and then, and then I'm going to take it apart and show you the example of what we're talking about tonight. Verse 1, Now the Philistines were gather, gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Succoth, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Succoth and Azekah in that place. And Saul and the men, Saul's the king of Israel, and he's their general. Saul and the men of Israel were to gather together and they camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. So they're basically squared off against each other and they've been there for a while. We're going to see they've been there for about 40 days. So there's a camp going on. So they're not just all standing at attention. They'll come out in the morning to get ready to go to work, to go to battle. And at night they'll go back to their tents and, you know, eat and whatever it is they do back in their tents. And so uh, this has been going on for a while. Verse 3, The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with the valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. Gath is the city he was from. Whose height was six cubits and a span. That's about... Ten, uh, ten feet tall. And he had, this is very important, he had a bronze helmet. Bronze was a metal that was developed in this age that was very strong. 
and he had it on his head, and he's armed with a coat of mail. If you remember the old uh, uh, the, the, the movies of the, you know, the, 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 the knights battling, they would wear this, this mail was this metal, like a metal uh, 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 net that they would mare that could not be cut very easily with a sword. So he's dressed in that, a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's about 126 pounds. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between or slung over his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. That's about 16 pounds. That's just the head of the spear. That's like a shot put. And a shield bearer went before him. Now, I, when we did a series several years ago on the armor of God, I showed you a picture of a Roman shield. The shields would, go, would be the height of a man. Because what they would do is they would stand in battle array with their shields up next to each other and the idea was the shield was tall enough to protect somebody standing or at least crouching behind it. So here you've got this situation. You've got Goliath coming out and Goliath is here and he's got all that armor on and in front of him you've got the shield bearer and his job is to hold this thing up in front of Goliath. So you got the picture? So, all right. They probably picked short guys, so he'd stand behind the thing and peek out like that. All right. So he's not just carrying it so he can hand it to Goliath when he asks for it. He's out there to provide protection. It becomes very important to us. Okay. Verse 8. And he stood and cried out to the army of Israel. Now notice, he's going to speak to Israel. I just told you, your circumstances will speak to you and they will tell you who you are and what they are and they'll tell you what's going to happen to you. And notice what he does here. Why have you come out to line up in battle? I, am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? We're going to break this down because this is important. Remember when the devil comes into the garden? What's he start? He starts asking questions. He's trying to undermine their confidence. He even tried to do this with Jesus. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The devil comes over and tries to get him to question who he is if you're the Son of God. The devil will talk to you through circumstances. You don't have to listen to him. In fact, we could start talking to him and say, you know, I've read the end of the book. Your end's not too good. Can you spell lake of fire? So look, why have you come out to line up? In other words, what are you doing here? Are you serious? You're coming to fight us? That's what he's saying in kind of modern vernacular. Am I not a Philistine and you servants of Saul? That's very significant. Goliath is telling them how he sees them and he's trying to get them to buy into how he sees them. He's trying to tell them who they are. Very important. Because who you think you are will determine how confident you are in spiritual warfare. 
Choose a man for yourself and let him come. He's challenging him. He's not expecting anybody to come. Verse 9, if he's able to fight with me and kill me, then I will be one of your, we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine says, I defy the armies of Israel. Now, I want to break down armies of Israel, because we can read over that too quickly. This is the handkerchief of John. It's even got my initial on it. This is the handkerchief of John. We wouldn't say it that way. We'd say, this is my handkerchief. But that means it belongs to me. So what he's saying is, I defy the armies that belong to Israel. So he's looking at the army of Israel through natural eyes and natural understanding. Remember, we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen. Goliath's looking at what's seen. He's looking at it through his own natural military understanding and is saying, why do you guys even bother? We're Philistines. And I'm their champion, and you're just the armies of Israel, and I've come to defy you. Now let's see how the armies of Israel respond. Verse 11. And when Saul... By the way, he's king. He's commander... This is your commander-in-chief. When Saul and all of Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Your commander's dismayed and greatly afraid. Remember we looked at 2 Corinthians 4.16? Basically, it's, don't be dismayed. Don't let your heart be troubled. It's what you look at. It's what you look at. So here's the army of Israel. Here's the king, Saul. They're hearing these words and they're dismayed and greatly afraid, or greatly dismayed and they're afraid. Now David, ah, we're going to change scenes, was the son of an Ephraite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. That's his father. Jesse had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons Jesse had had gone to follow Saul in battle. They're soldiers. Names of these three sons that went into battle were Eliab, the firstborn, uh, Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. He's the kid. The three oldest followed Saul. And David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. The Philistine drew near and presented himself, look at this, 40 days. Morning and evening. Now, I'm not great at math, but 40 times 2, I think, is 80. 80 times this giant has come out with those same words, which means 80 times Saul and the armies of Israel heard these words, listened to them, and ran back into their camp, dismayed and greatly afraid. You listen to the devil 80 times, and you'll begin to believe what he says, because faith comes by hearing, no matter what the word is. So be careful what you're hearing. Verse 17, Jesse said to this, 
And then Jesse said to his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of the dry grain, these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. Carry these ten cheeses to the captain. That's kind of a, you know, a, a, a home package for the captain too, of the thousands. And see your, how your brothers are getting along and bring back news of them. Now Saul and they all, of all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him and came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for battle. And, the, and for Israel, the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. David left the supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. And he was, I'm sure that they would be glad to see him. And as he talked with them, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath, by name coming out to the armies of the Philistine, and he spoke to them the same words. So David shows up with his care package just as the armies are getting ready to go into battle, and he hears, sees Goliath come out, and David hears the same words that Saul heard and the professional soldiers heard. David is this teenage boy who's a shepherd, and David heard them. What we're going to see is David hears these words through different filters than the professional soldiers heard it through. And we're going to see why. Verse 24, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were greatly afraid. So you got this scene. They get, it's like this happens every morning, so it's hard to believe they don't figure this out. The, Philist, the, the, the Israelites get up, have their breakfast, get ready. They line up because that's their job. The Philistines get up, have their breakfast. They line up. They're all getting ready to charge down into battle. And Goliath steps out and recites his threat. The Israelite soldiers are ready to go. They hear the threat. They go, oh, I think it's time to go back and have tea. <laughs> I forgot something. So they're fleeing back. And David's looking at this scene. Little David. Looking at this scene was interesting because when Samuel, God chose David through Samuel to be Saul's replacement, Samuel looked at him and you know, says, <laughs> so, David's own father said, when, when Saul, Samuel came and says, God's told me to come and anoint the next king, David, uh, saw, Jesse lines his sons up and leaves David out in the field because David's too small, too skinny, you know, he's just a, he's just a kid. And Saul, Samuel goes in front of each one of them. The Spirit says no. The Spirit says no. So he's a man of faith. Somewhere you've got a son that God's supposed to anoint. And he says, well, let's bring the kid in. And it's like, well, who's this kid? And Samuel says, God's, God does not gauge by sight, but by what's in the heart. Amen. So David had a heart that was unlike the others in this scene. Okay. Just a little background there. So this is the scene, verse 25. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who's come up? Surely he's come up to defy Israel. The, the professional soldiers, David's asking questions, and they're trying to undermine... See, unbelievers will try to undermine your faith. Did you hear what the devil's doing? Did you hear what's going... Did you hear what they said on the news is going to happen? Did you hear what that guy in North Korea's doing? Did you hear... Did you hear... Did you hear... Did you hear? Did you hear? That's what they're saying to him. Have you seen this man? Have you seen how big he is? He's come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will give him riches, riches, give him riches, give him his daughter and his house will be, father's house will be exempt from taxes. And David says, what would you say? (laughs) 
What was that again? Verse 26 says, David spoke to the men who stood by him saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the approach of Israel? And look what he says. I love this last sentence. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, I want to break down. I want to tell you what this is saying. Goliath has come out 80 times, twice a day, 40 days, and told them who they are. You are the army of Israel. The army, we'll see later, that belongs to Saul. And I've come to defy you. David looks at this guy that's 10 feet tall, all covered with armor, and he says, he doesn't say, who's this guy? He doesn't say, who's this soldier? It's very significant. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine. Now let me explain to you what he's saying there because it's so important. Last week we looked at Abraham. He was Abram when God appeared to him. And we saw, and we didn't go into detail, we saw God enter into a covenant with him. And in that covenant God said, I will bless you and whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever comes against you, I will come against. And then God says further on in verse chapter 15, and then in chapter 17, chapter 17, God has as a seal to this covenant that God's made with Abraham and his descendants after him. The sign of this covenant is that every male child shall be circumcised at the age of eight days old. So the circumcision that each one of those descendants of Abraham, the males, went through was to mark them as being somebody that was in covenant with God who promised if somebody comes against you, they've come against me. David understands the covenant. The rest of them understood it in church. You can understand something here and live something else out there when Goliath comes knocking at your door, telling you who you are and what he's going to do to you. See, this didn't just come out of David's head. This rose up in him. Who is this uncircumcised, who is this Philistine that has no covenant with God? That he should defy... Now, remember what Goliath called them? They were the army of Saul. David looks at them and he doesn't see them as the army of Saul. He sees them as the army that belongs to the living God. So David is saying, boy, you're in trouble. Because you didn't just come against this bunch of guys out there that are scared in their tents. But you've defied the God they're in covenant with that has promised on his own blood that if anybody comes against my people... I will come against them. So you've messing with the wrong guy. You have come against, you have defied the army that belongs to God. But I want you to see, David looked at the same situation, heard the same words, but David's mind, which had been renewed, in, understood all these through the terms of a covenant that had been made generations before that he believed in. 
So his response to that is completely different from the professional soldiers. We've got to move on. Verse, now it gets interesting. Because once you get somebody standing in faith, the scaredy cats will come forward and they'll persecute you. The people answered in this manner, saying, So shall be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard what had been spoken to the men, and his anger was aroused against David. And he said, Why did you come down here? With whom have you left those few sheep? In other words, you're, you've, you've, you're, you're butting into our business. The guys that are scared will always come against the man that's standing in faith because it convicts them. Here you've got the little kid of the family, and that's always a problem. Because the older ones don't respect you usually. But he's not a soldier, he's a little shepherd boy. And we're the soldiers! But he's the one that's speaking boldly. Why'd you come down here? With who have you left a few sheep? Verse 28. Then he gets bored. He said, I know your pride in the insult. He's going to now attack his motives. This is what the devil does. First of all, it was through, it'll be through Goliath. Now it's through his own family. I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down here to see the battle. But notice, none of this moves David. Probably heard it before. Then David said, <laughs> yeah, he asked, what have I done now? <laughs> what, what? You, can almost, you, can almost, you can almost see, you know, picture them around the family table at dinner time. What have I done now? <laughs> Is there not a cause here? Is there not something really issued here? Excuse me. Then he turned from him towards another and said the same thing. There's other brothers. And they answered him as the first ones did. Then the word which David spoke were heard, and they were reported to Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. That's to the king, the commander. Saul said to David, you're not able to... So now the king's telling him he can't do it. His brothers are telling him he can't do it. Now the king's telling him he can't do it. You're out of youth. See, Saul's looking at David through natural eyes. Saul's looking at David as, look, you're small. You're not mighty. You're not experienced. What, what can you do here? You, and, and he's a man of war from his youth. See, he, what they can do, they have allowed Goliath to hem them in in their thinking, and where they go in their thinking determines where they're going to go. Verse 34. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion and a bear came and took the lamp out of the flock, verse 35, I went out and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth, and when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard, and struck it, and killed it. That's not bad. Verse 36. Your servants killed both the lion and the bear. Here he says, this uncircumcised, you know, one of those guys, will be like one of them. Seeing, again, he's defied the army of the living God. He's seeing everything in terms of what God has promised, not in terms of what his natural understanding is. What he's saying is, this giant is no match for God. Verse 37. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion. Notice, notice the statement of faith. Notice his confidence. Notice he's declaring what's going to happen. He will deliver me out of the hands of the Philistine. 
And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Go for it. So Saul clothed David with his armor, put a bronze hat. said, Saul's going to take his armor. Saul was over seven feet tall. He's going to put his armor on his head, helmet on his head, clothe him with his coat of mail, verse 39. David fastened his sword and his armor and tried to walk, for he'd not tested him. And David said to Saul, I can't walk in these. I've not tested them. So David took them off. He'd not tested these, but he had tested the covenant. He didn't wear those when the lion and the bear came. He just stood his ground with what promises God had made. And he went and took, chose for himself five smooth stones from a brook, put them in a shepherd's bag and a pouch, which he had, and his sling it was at hand, and he drew near the Philistine. Now it's going to get good. You ready? All right. So the Philistine came and began to draw near David, because I'm sure for the first time he sees someone coming out of the camp. Oh, all right, we got a live one here. And the man who bore the shield, this is important, went in front of him. Verse 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, so now we've had his brothers disdain him, we've had his own king disdain him, and now the enemy's disdaining him. Looked at him and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. Verse 43. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? In other words, all you've got to fight me with is a bunch of sticks, natural things that can't do anything. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Verse 44. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh. So he's declaring to him what he's going to do. Just like the devil tells you what he's going to do to you. And I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the fields. Verse 45. And David said to the Philistine, Okay, you think I come out with you with sticks? You, I come to, you come at me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. <laughs> What's that? But I, look at this. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies that belong to Israel, whom you've defied. Boy, you're in trouble. You're laughing at me because what you, I have, you say, are sticks. You're coming at me. I'm coming at you with the name of the Lord God whom you've defied. Amen. This day, now you're going to tell him what's going to This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. This day I will give your carcasses to the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, to all the earth may all... Look at this. That all the earth may know. This is why God needs people that will stand in faith. That all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. That all the world will know that God is real and He's in His church. And then all this assembly, the church will know that the Lord does not save by spear and sword. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. Now we've got to go down through the rest of this quickly and I want to show you something. Verse 48, So it was that the Philistine arose and came and drew near me to meet David, and David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. He's running into the battle. When you're a man of faith, you run at the devil. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in the forehead so that the stone sank in his forehead and he fell to the face to the earth. And David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him but there was no sword in his hand. All right, I want to do a quick example. Tim, would you come up here? You're going to be Goliath. Come up on the stage up here. 
I'm going to use them. Uh, Richard, you come up. You're the shield bearer. No, up on the stopper stage. I want to be able to see you. Come on, John. You're David. You're the mighty man of valor, boy. All right, I want to show you an example. I got to move these a little bit here. All right. Okay. Goliath, you stand over there. You're, you're over, over by the key, keyboard. No, no, no. You're, you're Goliath. I'm sorry. How could I mix that up? Goliath, you're standing over here. Okay. Shield bears here. Okay. All right. Now hold the shield up. Goliath, you're over here. Okay. Now, everybody see this? Okay. So, Goliath's hiding behind the shield. David, it says, took the sling and he threw it. Now, it dawned on me one day meditating on this. They knew how to put the shield because they knew the angles. All right? If you get too close, he'd have to kind of lob it up and have, hope it comes down and hits it on the top of the head. If he's too far away, there's not much force to it. And they knew where that angle was. So here's what had to happen. Remember what, God, what he said. God's going to destroy you. So I believe what happened is David swung it up in the air and see, it went up in the air and I believe God took the stone. <laughs> and God drove it down because what it said, he had a bronze helmet. And I've seen pictures of these helmets that they knew where the, the most vulnerable part is right here. So the thickest part of the bronze helmet was guess where? Right in the front. So in order, it says that it's stuck in his head. In order for it to stick in his head, it's got to hit him with such force that it bends through the bronze plate in the front and lodges in his front of his brain. No sling on its own going over a shield, it was going to come down and do that. It takes a force that's stronger than anything that this man of God could do. Can you see that? All right. Thank you, guys. Good job. And he didn't take your head off, so that's good. All right. Praise God. Oh, that worked great. David's whole view of this situation was seen through these inner eyes. He physically could see the same thing that Saul saw. He could physically see the same thing that the Israelite army saw, but he didn't, was not moved by those things he saw. He governed everything by what he saw in here. And he saw in the same terms that God saw things. He saw this Philistine giant as small compared to the God he was defying. He saw that he was uncircumcised. He had no covenant with God. And he was coming against the God of the covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, Israel. The God who said, whoever comes against you comes against me. What they do to you, they do to me. And David was calling on that covenant. David was acting on that covenant. Because you just don't work it up enough unless you're crazy to run at a giant like that unless you have absolutely, or you are fully persuaded that what God promised, He was able and ready to do. So as we close now, I want to ask you this question. What are the giants in your life? What are the things in your life that are threatening you? The devil's using to threaten you. Is it finances saying you're not going to make it? I've been there. I've been there where you don't want to answer the phone because you know it's another bill collector. You just, you know, where, where's the rent going to be? Where are we going to put my family next to me? 
And I learned some of the, th- the things I've learned to walk by faith was going through those situations and watching God come through, watching God come through, watching God come through over and over and over again, watching God being true to His Word. But I had to cooperate. I couldn't panic and run around saying, What are we going to do? We're going to die! Because that's just what the Israelites were doing. That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to set yourself in agreement with him. There's a teaching I do, I can't get into tonight when I teach on, on blood covenant, uh, that you are the deciding witness. The Bible teaches that, that, that two witnesses establish something. So here we have Goliath making one statement, God has made another statement, and Saul and the army were agreeing with Goliath, and David agreed with God. Who are you agreeing with with your giant? Your giant's talking to you, telling you something. The beginning is to recognize what the giant's saying to you. Recognizing what the... Because it's trying to get you a message that's always you're not going to make it, you're defeated, you're not enough. We'll try to undercut your confidence. Just Well, why would God help you? Because you failed Him so many times. You've been so disobedient. You've had sin in your life. You've done all these things. But it, was, it wasn't what they did. It was what God did. It wasn't how righteous Israel was. It was how faithful God is to His promise. See, God's not looking at you for your faithfulness. He wants us to be faithful, but God's, it's His faithfulness we need to look at. It's His goodness we need to look at. It's what God can do we need to look at. And David looked at this situation in terms of what God had said, what God could do. So if your doctor's told you you've got six months to live, well, thank him very much. But God has told me some other things. You don't need to get in an argument with him. That's they're giving you what they know. They're giving you what they see with their instruments, and I've been there. Not six months, but I've been there where they tell you something. But what does God say about it? What does God say about it? At least give God a chance by agreeing with Him. And maybe your faith is not where Goliath is. My faith wasn't where Goliath... Where, not Goliath, I got him mixed up tonight. Where David's was. But I purpose to grow in that. So all I think this want to see tonight is learn to understand you have two sets of eyes. You have two sets of senses. You have these eyes, these ears that can see and hear things. But you've got inner eyes and inner ears. That's why it's so important to meditate in the Word. David did not come to this place because he went to church once and heard this message. David got this place because he meditated on the Word. Read Psalm 1 and you'll see. He talks about that the tree planted by the waters is the man that meditates on the Word. It was written by this man while he was out in the fields with the lion and the bear trying to come at him. David knew his God because he spent time with his God. David knew his God because he knew the Scriptures. David knew his God because he, that's, he wasn't sitting around watching TV and playing you know, poker online or something like that. He spent time thinking about God, talking about God, singing to God, and that made God bigger in his mind, bigger in his heart. It can't make, doesn't make God bigger who he is, but it makes him bigger to us. Amen. Meditating on the Word will allow the Spirit of God in you to begin to open your inner eyes to see things. And that's not, you know, three minutes a day while you're, you know, brushing your teeth and running out the door to get, get to, the, to work on time. It, it's, it's worth taking some time, whatever your best time of your day, to meditate on the Word. Let, it, let the Spirit of God soak it inside of you so that in the pressure, that's what comes out of you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for all you've done. And we just praise you, Father. You're a great God. And you are serious about the covenant because the covenant that David had with you, we have a better covenant made on better promises through our Lord Jesus Christ.
And Father, by that covenant, you promised to provide for us. By that covenant, you promised to heal us. By that covenant, you promised to protect us. By that covenant, you promised to give us wisdom and direction. You've made promises, and you're not a man that you can lie, nor are you the son of man that you can change your mind. Have you not said it, and shall you not make, bring it to pass? You've sealed it in the blood of your son. So, Father, help us to look at the circumstances of our lives through what you've said about them and what you said you'll do and not no longer let those circumstances talk to us and to dictate to us. For the grace and strength to do that, we thank you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.